0: This is Live Well Talk on emergency care during the COVID-19 epidemic. I'm Dr. Ryan Sunderman, St. Luke's Hospital Emergency Department Medical Director.
1: And I'm Dr. Ryan Dowden,
0: a physician in the yard ER at St. Luke's also. So today we're taking over Dr. Arnold's, our Chief Medical Officer's podcast to discuss what we're doing in St. Luke's Emergency Department to ensure your safety and ensure that you're getting the care that you need to get in the event that you're not feeling well. Um, because we've definitely seen a decrease in our volumes in the emergency department. Um, during this time, understandably, because people are scared they 're afraid that they 're going to contract something even by coming to them, the emergency environments
1: yeah i don't I think some of it 's that I think also that social distancing is maybe keeping people well uh or uh, less injured than, than right. normal. They're
0: not going to work and smashing their fingers or falling off the roofs or even yeah. getting in a car accident on the way to work.
1: Yeah, exactly. And not to mention that, you know, we're, we're taking extraordinary measures to prevent spread of viruses. Uh, so so I think it goes without saying that there's a decent chance that even the kids that, that uh, we normally see with colds and flus and things aren't getting sick because yeah. of the same precautions that their parents colds. are taking yeah. uh, for, Coronavirus yeah. social distancing those are
0: viruses as well, and the same social distancing works in the same way for you know the common cold virus, et cetera
1: so. yeah, yeah, but uh we certainly we certainly miss our patients and and <laughs> and we definitely uh we definitely don't want people um, s- staying at home for symptoms that under normal circumstances, they might not even bat an eye to come to the emergency department to get checked out for
0: I think we could definitely talk about some of the things that we've seen that. Would have been much uh, w- a way more severe because people didn't present early. But I think, and that, and one of the features is, is that people are trying to do the right thing. They're trying to make sure that sick people have access to the emergency department. They don't want to get sick if they, by coming to the uh, some sort of healthcare facility. I mean, you see it in high V or the other grocery stores. You know, you walk down the aisles. You got to follow the directional errors. You got to wear your mask. And people are kind of, you know. They look at you sideways if you're not wearing a mask in there and, you know, you got to wipe down your car. So naturally, if that's just from the grocery store, they think about coming to the hospital, I think, yikes.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I'm sure people, you know, people have driven by and and seen our shed out front Mm -hmm. in the ER and seen signs and, and maybe heard stories about how the processes are different. And of course, that can potentially Raise anxiety levels about coming in, create indecision. Uh, you know, is it is it safe? What's it going to be like? What what do I expect when I get there? And and you know, so I think that's a good thing. We're going to talk about some of this stuff yeah. and the steps that
0: we've taken. I think that's that's exactly the point, though, is that we've done all those things to keep people safe. You know, not only prevent uh, people with minimal uh, symptoms from having to come into the emergency department. You know, they go. We have a shed. A lot of you've seen a lot of tents out in the public. We actually have a shed because some of the strong winds we've had in the last month tried to blow our tent away. And so we moved to a shed that's that's you know pretty much locked down. Yeah, maybe and, not a
1: good idea to have a tent during April
0: and May, the yeah, right. in yeah. Iowa. And the worst place would be maybe Texas or Oklahoma. So we've, we've put those in place to keep well people moving through without even having to come to the department, but we've also split the waiting room in half. And so we've got patients that if they come in with any respiratory symptoms and they can't go right back to the emergency department, They can go to our respiratory waiting room where they're masked and they're distance far apart so that they're outside the cough radius, which is the distance that droplets spread, but they're in a mask anyway. We put a mask on them if they're in that waiting room, but because of the low volumes, um, we haven't even had to use our waiting rooms. And uh, then we have a well waiting room as well, where if you have a a sprained ankle or a cut or something, um, you can go to that waiting room. So we split the waiting room in two, all of our rooms are private rooms. You're not sharing rooms. They're decontaminated. They're wiped down completely after every visit. And then if there is a respiratory patient, we even have what's called a negative pressure system where it basically pulls fresh air through so that nothing actually gets out of that room. And so any respiratory patient, none of the whatever they were to respire even gets out of their room. So it's extremely safe. In fact, our rate of illness as healthcare providers in the emergency department is actually very, very, very low. Um, And that's because of our protective equipment that we're using and the, what we're doing to keep the rooms clean and the people isolated.
1: Yeah, I think um, I think it's important to um, to 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 note that the purpose of this r- recording isn't necessarily to talk about the signs and symptoms of coronavirus right. and right. the illness itself, but rather to kind of talk about the precautions and everything that we have in place to keep uh, all of our patients safe and. And as the medical director, uh, you know, Dr. Sunderman, you know, works a tremendous amount, but in March he alone, he worked double the number of hours that he normally does in, in preparation for coronavirus. And, and quite frankly, you know, the disease process itself is evolving. And, and even as doctors, were getting new and updated information on the disease every day and best practices from around the country and so forth. And obviously, we're, we're very focused on that. But ahead of time, When we look back now, uh, four or six weeks ago, uh, before social distancing started, when we knew that the disease was coming and that we were going to prepare for a surge, a big focus of the preparation at that point in the emergency department and in the hospital as a whole wasn't necessarily preparing for how we were going to actually take care of these patients. In other words, what medicines we were going to give them and what symptoms we were going to expect and what we we're going to do, but rather the the preparation was all in place to try to figure out how we were going to deal with this contagious disease and keep it from spreading to our healthcare workers and to the other uninfected patients. Yeah. And so the vast majority of the work preparing for this was all done for that reason.
0: Yeah, you saw the efforts and people trying to get the protective equipment. You know, I went I was going out and buying masks and goggles and things like that just to make sure that we had enough. And you saw the public outpouring when then people are, you know, once people realized there was a potential for shortage, we had donations and of N95 masks and things like that, construction workers, and even individuals who had remodeled their basement and drop off a stack of 20 masks. And, you know, that was fantastic. And that was, that was the preparation that was required to get ready. And then we kind of we thought we were behind the curve and we were racing to get ready. And then it's been this kind of quiet, hopefully it's not the quiet before the storm, but it's definitely been a quiet. But the problem is, is that what we've seen is because people have this fear or they're trying to distance themselves from the potential, uh, p- the potential of infection, they're neglecting some of their other potential um, uh, signs and symptoms that would lead them to normally come to the emergency department. You know, the guy who's been at home with chest pain for a week because he thinks I can just wait this out or the woman at home who's been you know, um, gaining, gaining significant amounts of weight uh, and a- ankle swelling, not realizing that it's her heart failure that's progressing and she needs to see a cardiologist or one of us to kind of get that, those symptoms in order. And so by the time that people are presenting, that disease has progressed much further than it normally would have.
1: I, I think one of the things to point out here is, is as emergency physicians, when we advocate for our patients, uh, we, we always use this term prudent layperson, and we want to make sure that everybody has access to care in the emergency department for symptoms that a prudent layperson would go and seek care for. And, and we definitely don't want that to be any different during the coronavirus well, kind pandemic. kind of explain what you
0: mean by prudent layperson, because so, those are actually words that I would not yep. understand if so I a, even... So, so, so,
1: a, so a prudent layperson would be a, your average citizen who has average health care knowledge, if they have symptoms that they believe might be due to a to a serious or life-threatening condition, they would go and seek medical care. And we want that to happen during coronavirus just as it would happen at any other time. We definitely don't want people to delay their care or to be scared to come to the emergency department or... Quite frankly, there's been a lot of the movement for um, you know, stay home to protect us, you know, stay home to protect your healthcare workers. We um we're we're safe. We are very fortunate and at St. Luke's uh in and in Cedar Rapids that we at this point don't lack for PPE and uh and, and we feel very safe and comfortable taking care of patients. Uh, so, so, uh, we worry, worry about yourself and, and, and we have the ability to take care of ourselves too.
0: Yeah. I remember when we first started going into rooms over a month ago with a uh, mask on, you know, our, our patients weren't accustomed to not seeing our faces. Um, but very quickly, you know, I'd walk in, I'd say, you know, it's something to the effect of, Hey, I'm sorry. I have to wear this, this, uh, face mask. It's just for your protection. And patients were instantly thankful and would show their gratitude. Oh no, thanks. I understand. You know, they, they very much understood that. And now it's just part of the routine. Now people, I think they'd be shocked if you didn't come in wearing a mask and goggles. Um, and sometimes I'll kind of pull down on my mask and just say, hey, this is me, what my face <laughs> looks like. I'm Ryan and et cetera. And uh, you know, that just kind of set them at ease a bit. But uh, to the same you way, know, you talk about like severe illness. Well, a good friend of mine, and I you know, won't say his name, but I, you know, if he hears this, I hopefully understands. But he called me up and he said, hey, I'm at the office. and My hand looks terrible. I got a shard from my rake handle. You know, everybody's at home doing yard work because they don't know what else. You know, have you seen so many people walking their dogs ever before? But you know, and so they're walking their dogs, doing yard work. But he gets a shard of his rake handle in his hand. He thinks, I don't know if I want to go see anybody about this. But by the next day, this thing looks terrible, and so he's got to come in. And you know, if he would have come in the day before, it'd probably been removing the the shard. But now he's got an infection, so it's even the little things that you got to make sure you don't like get carried away um, in times like this. And like I said, you know, we're we're, you're safe if you come to the emergency room we're here yeah we'll keep you safe
1: i, I bet if you asked him you know if that would have happened last summer would you have even thought twice about yeah. going to the er right. or to urgent care someplace to just run right down there yeah yeah right. yeah, yeah. it's
0: crazy that we have to think this think yeah
1: this way. yeah it's kind of crazy to ever ever picture ourselves actually having this kind of conversation right yeah like <laughs> right. Where, where did where did all of our patients go where yeah. where are they we we want you to we want you to come in and yeah uh, we always did but yeah. uh but we're We're especially concerned right now because you know anecdotally we we feel like we're we're not seeing the same number of cases of appendicitis and heart failure and heart attacks and strokes that that we normally do. Uh, I was actually just talking to one of our surgeons the other night i was I worked a string of night shifts and and um and uh, the surgeon had to come in to take care of a patient in the middle of the night. It, it wasn't an appendicitis case, but we started talking about uh, appendicitis, and she said, "You know she I can't remember." ever having a call night where i didn't take care of at least one case of appendicitis and she said i don't think that i've taken care of an appendicitis case in the last six weeks wow it's, it's stories like that that make you
0: think gosh i sure hope people aren't are staying at home, home with that. but it also says like something about what our daily routines are that make us susceptible to every like just everything yeah know? it's kind of indicative you see the pictures of how how less uh, human activity impacts things and you look at the pictures of where they'll show of uh, beijing and the air quality yeah. is just, re- or Los Angeles even, and they show the smog count and it's almost like to zero probably. Oh yeah, all
1: the pictures that yeah. you see of animals, uh, in, you know, coming into <laughs> yeah. cities because they yeah. no one out. It's like
0: deer walking in subway lines and things like that. It's, you know, it's kind of crazy. It's the Chernobyl effect, you know, where the plants and animals eventually take it all back over. And
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I other other stories, you know, certainly maybe maybe people aren't having appendicitis as much. Maybe people aren't having other other things as much. You kind of got to assume but, that is happening. But uh, but there are lots of conditions that that if caught and treated early, you know, will prevent much more severe illness. And, and you know, I can even give a couple of examples of things that I personally have seen. Um, even during this last stretch of shifts, I just worked, in that. You know, simple things like a bladder infection being untreated and leading to a more severe kidney infection or a mm-hmm. sore throat being untreated and le- leading to a more severe abscess in the throat that needed to be surgically drained. And, and uh, you know, I don't know whether either one of those cases would have been different in non-coronavirus times, but those are examples of things that could potentially have gotten worse if, if mm-hmm. the patient was reluctant to come in and seek care mm-hmm. early for their illness uh, during this time as opposed to uh, any other time.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that is critical. Um, we'd we'd actually, you know, one of the things we are doing a lot is um, studying the disease. And so there is a, a ton of information coming out of the epicenters like New York and Washington and places like that. And so we see a lot of these kind of crazy presentations. And in fact, people assume that this is a respiratory illness, but and which it is, but it starts with, uh, and we're not going to get deep into the symptoms of this. But it starts with um, some fairly benign symptoms, and what I do not want to do is scare people into coming to the emergency bar. That's not my goal here. What I want to do is make sure that you're aware that it's not just cough and fever. It as often starts with bad headache and body aches. You know, we all get headaches, and so if you just think you have your traditional headache and you can manage it with Tylenol or Motrin or Excedrin or whatever, do that by all means. But if you have an unusual headache or a headache that's unremitting or not going away, or and it's it accompanied by body aches and you just feel like this is particularly unusual, those can be symptoms of COVID. And in fact, 40 to 50% of people start off with non-respiratory symptoms. So you have to pay attention to things like that. And while there isn't a treatment for COVID yet, it is important that you identify it early.
1: Well, and quite frankly, any any one of those symptoms could be a symptom of another disease that is right. that is just as serious or more serious than right. coronavirus right. and 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 thinking to yourself oh i i know i'm not supposed to leave my house or go into the hospital if i have if i might have coronavirus uh you know it could be a mistake uh, you know we we have all the precautions in place to to keep you from spreading the disease to the healthcare providers and the other patients and at this point um I think the, the, the message needs to be, look out for yourself first. If at any time you're not sure about the symptoms or you're worried or you think to yourself, you know, under normal circumstances, I would definitely be going to the ER for these symptoms. That's what we still want you to think uh, because we definitely don't want people sitting at home and, and, uh, yeah. and feeling worse. And at a minimum,
0: call your, your primary care provider. Um, we have an Ask a Nurse line here at Unity Point. You can always call them. They have telemedicine visits available. Um, and we have a respiratory clinic that if you call your primary care provider, they can kind of get you in if you think your symptoms aren't severe enough, by all means, go there. But yeah, like in the middle of the night, they're not open, you know? And so the thing is, we, you know, we're 24-7. We never close. Um, you know, we're here for you. And, you know, like, whether well, it's a headache. If it's a crazy headache, it could be COVID, but it could also be that something horrible that uh, needs to get diagnosed quickly. Um, but uh, you just, again, that prudent layperson, use your own best judgment. And if you feel like it's an emergency, trust your gut and come and see us. And you know, we're gonna keep you safe. You don't gotta worry about keeping us safe because we, we've got all that in place. And so um, we'll take care of you.
1: Yeah, yeah. Maybe we should go over one more time just the steps that we've taken. So, so first, and, first and foremost, if it, you know, I think a lot of people have their own masks now. And, yeah. and uh, when they're leaving their house, they're typically wearing masks. But, but if you don't have your own mask, we have masks to put on you when, when, when you arrive mm-hmm. in the ER. We, you're gonna be met by a, by a greeter and they're going to do a, a, just a basic uh, review of your symptoms and kind of help disposition you either to the respiratory part of our ER or the non-respiratory part of the ER.
0: Or you might go to the shed. If you, have, if you come in and you say, I've got a mild fever, a cough, but I'm not short of breath, and you have some kind of just basic symptoms and you want to be ruled out for um, COVID, we'll send it to our shed. And um, at that point, we'll determine if you qualify for testing. Again, remember, because testing is limited, there is—you know—you don't necessarily be tested if you don't meet criteria from the state perspective. Um, you, we might just tell you to assume that you could have it an and a shelter-in-place for two weeks, and you have to be symptom-free for at least 72 hours before you return to act, you know activities outside the home. So, um, again, I'll reiterate even if we think that you could have it, not everybody qualifies for testing. So if you come in, we send you over to our shed and you walk through and they say, yep, sounds like you might have it, go home. Don't be offended. You know We're limited by supply and also by state regulation as to who we test. There is some new stuff coming out with some of the more rapid testing, but we're kind of late to get a lot of that in here in Iowa because we haven't been the epicenter. So that is coming, but it's not prime time yet. So just understand that and have some patience. But So back to your point, though, the process is to show up and you get screened.
1: And then then we've got separate areas leading into the department. Um, You know, some people might call it waiting rooms. Fortunately for us lately, we haven't had a need to have anybody in the quote-unquote waiting room. and we hope to, to keep it that way. The, the emergency department itself is geographically very large, and, and we are uh, separating uh, respiratory cases from non-respiratory cases to the extent possible. Mm-hmm.
0: We clean the rooms ex- extremely well. In fact, that's been one of the issues is making sure we had enough of these, they call them uh, PDI wipes, or these wipes that we wipe down every room every time that a patient leaves, regardless of your symptoms. And if it is a respiratory patient, that room is actually left... Um, Left to kind of settle, even for a period of time, depending on the type of room we have, before we even go in and clean it. So we're very prudent about, again, there's that word prudent again. Now, so, mm-hmm. But the uh, we're very careful careful about um, making sure that these rooms are cleaned to protect you as well as us. Mm-hmm.
1: And there are lots of steps in process to uh, or in in in, um, in in being implemented to prevent um, equipment use from being you know from the respiratory patients to non respiratory patients. Uh, uh, you know, different processes for uh, diagnostic tests, uh, x-rays, blood tests, EKGs, things like that for patients with, uh, with potential coronavirus symptoms and those who don't. And even at the end of the visit, uh, different processes for physically even exiting the department than we normally have in yeah. place. So from start to finish, uh, we have processes in place uh, in order to keep everyone safe and to limit uh, uh, spread of the uh, coronavirus in the emergency department, and, and we feel very good about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you what, we're probably close to the time that we have uh, available to us. I will remind everybody that if you have some further topics that you'd like to discuss, whether it's uh, COVID-19 related or other health questions even, Dr. Arnold does this uh, podcast regularly, and he'd be more than happy to answer any of those questions. So if you want to shoot those uh, questions to the following email, cr that's S-T-L-U-K-E-S-C-R at unitypoint.org. Um, if you send your questions there, um, they can have them prepared for some good answers uh, the next time Dr. Arnold does it. But uh, we're happy to see you in the emergency department and um, ready to see you if you need us. Anything else to add, Dr. Dowden?
1: Unity Point has a has a COVID-19 information on the website at unitypoint.org and uh, everybody islands keep up the good work yeah. uh, wash your hands cover your cough continue social distancing we've done a great job flattening the curve yeah, here and really uh, and hopefully preventing any kind of a surge yep nice work folks